0: You're listening to Arts Talk Radio, and I'm Michael Hasted. We bring you interviews as well as news relating to all aspects of the arts in Holland, which are either in English or where language is no problem. We concentrate on events in Amsterdam, The Hague, Rotterdam and the surrounding areas.
1: Radio Online. Features on the Arts in English.
0: It's all about music this week, but of two very different types. We'll be talking to one of Holland's leading baritones who sings in the world's great opera houses as well as giving solo recitals. Arts Talk Radio Online. Barry Visser is the man who first brought rock and roll to Holland. He created Mojo Concerts, which mounted the country's first pop festival in Kralingen in Rotterdam in 1970. This was the biggest rock event in mainland Europe to date, and Mojo went on to become, and still remains, an important concert promoter. I met up with Barry Visser at his home in Delft and I started by asking him how it all got started.
2: In the beginning I was um, fascinated about, the, uh, in, in, about Dutch artists. And they, uh, we have a Dutch word for it, cabaret. And uh, it was a typical Dutch cultural phenomenon. And then at one point I uh, started a discotheque in Delft, Poly Magoo. And uh, the DJ played records. Uh, what, what year was this? We were talking about um, we're talking about 52 years ago. and he played like the the likes of vanilla Fudge, Pink Floyd, Stevie Winwood. Um, and that opened my eyes for for the pop music. And then Paul Ackert, a well-known promoter, at one point organized, he presented uh, a double bill in the Concertgebouw Amsterdam with uh, the Doors and Jefferson Airplane. And I went there and I was sitting there in the Concertgebouw and I thought, Jesus, wouldn't it be nice to do something similar like this? And then I bought a ticket for the ferry to London and I entered, uh, I had one address, NEMS Enterprises, and there I, I got in touch with Neil Warnock. And uh, he, in the end, he came with a Bill jetrotel uh, soft machine, and I was able to rent the Concertgebouw in Amsterdam. Uh, it's a long story, but in the end, I succeeded in, in renting that place. It was sold out, and that is the beginning of Mojo Concerts. Uh, yeah, yeah, so how how old were you then? You were sort already about 20? twenty twenty two years or something like so that. So it's a big
0: a big thing to take on. I mean, it' a big financial thing to take on, isn't it? I mean, you must have, you have to pay deposits and things to the bands, and yes. things like that and for the hall,
2: yes. Do you know how much it cost you to, to mount that uh, in that time? Well, the tickets they were uh, they started at six guilders, and the top oh, tickets. Guilders, I I was, those are the days. The, 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 the top tickets, I believe, was fifteen guilders. So the fees of the artists were, asked uh, 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 were compared to now, were quite um, uh, not that high, but still, uh, if that concert was, uh, if if that first concert of Mosho uh, wouldn't have been sold out. Uh, Maybe the whole motion wouldn't exist because
0: uh, Uh, the 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 big event, the 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 main thing that got you off the ground was the Kralingen festival in 1969, and that was the sort of Dutch Woodstock of the Dutch Isle of Wight, and and, and, and from then you never really looked
2: back. Yes, that 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 the Kralingen thing um, happened, and um, uh, I was lucky. I didn't have any money and i i at one point i didn't have a site a location all i had was the program the 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 lineup because i met frederick Manister who who at who, uh, who at the time organized a festival in Bath and um england and i i went to see him and i said i'm, I'm i intend to do a festival similar uh, in on in europe in, in holland and I asked him can we not bring the American groups together so uh, he agreed and and that's why I was able to have this fantastic lineup and then uh, but I was looking all around the country for a site and talking to people uh, to get uh, sponsoring etc and at one point uh, somebody knocked at the door here in in this place and it happened to be George Knapp And he had uh, he had the same idea to do something uh, in in Rotterdam. He drove me to Rotterdam. He showed me around the Kralingen site, and uh, of course I was impressed. And uh, and from then onwards, um, we uh, organized the uh, the Kralingen event. In um, we did it in three months. I moved in into their house with. and uh, we did it uh, with one telephone, and um, things things were much easier in those days. You could actually do it like that. Yes, for, yes, that's true. Um, after the of Festival, I I, 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 I started working together with Leon Rammakers, and um, we became partners. And, and we did a in uh, we did a the first f- stadium concert in Holland, and that was with Bob Dylan and Eric Clapton. And from then onwards, um, we did many big concerts. Uh, we had, we were lucky that um, when I started MoJo, it was a, um, the music was you could call it a subculture music, and then uh, gradually, gradually over the years, it became uh, very uh, mainstream. Uh, mainstream, and mainstream means many people, big audiences. Um, but you must have had even from the
0: very beginning you must have had really large audiences. Um, because it was the first time these acts were were available
2: in Holland. Yeah correct but but the Kralinger, the 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 first large audience was um the Kralinger festival somewhere around 80,000 people. But still it was early days for the for the pop music and then over the years it became real uh, for the masses and then um uh, we had the stadium concerts and the Ahoy was built and um, the North Sea Festival um, that was created by Paul Ackett and actually um, Mocho concerts uh, took over the North Sea after I already departed from Mocho that is a thing Leon Rammakers did uh, in Mocho I, I I developed uh, like, like uh, the, the Pandora Music Box Festival and Einarbert in Wien and then and then of course came the lowlands uh, lowlands festivals which I think last yeah which has already been going on for 25 years uh, but but you're not involved with mojo anymore when did you no I you? left or I I believe it's already 25 years ago so it's a very long time hmm do you miss it not really no so how no. many so how many years were you active with mojo let me let me calculate um, I think I was active um, 25, 30 years, uh, something like that. And I suppose that was that was a full-time job. How many events did you do each year? A lot. Mm-hmm. And, and they increased over the years. But uh, don't uh, nail me down on numbers. <laughs> but uh, that must have been a, a terrible lot. Because, uh, to, to a certain extent, um, I think Holland was
0: almost deprived you could say in the 60s and, and early 70s of, of progressive of, of rock music really because there were no there were no dutch bands were there there was focus and that was about it really yeah, on the, the international stage
2: yes correct the, 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 uh, holland uh, uh, the, 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 the like the dutch uh, music lovers they they focused on english and american groups mm-hmm. and and the, the, um and the dutch i i believe the dutch groups they 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 got their inspiration from the English groups. They looked, um, they looked at Simple Minds and all those groups and tried to create. But Focus was quite unique. Focus was unique. Yeah, I must say, Focus had their own typical Dutch uh, authentic sound. Mm. But the Dutch pop music, uh, I believe, uh, looked a lot, listened a lot to the English and American music. Mm. So. So the, 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 Dutch, the Dutch kids really were, were, were uh, as we would say, ripe for picking. I mean, they were really keen to, to hear all this music live. Oh, definitely, definitely. Yeah. And they, they, they say Holland was the main, the gate to, uh, like the Eagles... Uh, did the first gigs that became popular first in in Holland and then afterwards? Did you promote
0: elsewhere in Europe? Did you put on concerts in Germany or France? Um,
2: not really. In the beginning, I did a tour with the Soft Machine in other countries, and Marlene Dietrich. Dietrich, we did three concerts. Um, two of them in 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 Belgium, but. Um, for most of the uh, the program the most of the yeah, only Holland. We we uh, we didn't go. We didn't uh, um, go into other countries. And they you, had you their like, own promoters and uh, etc. Because I think at that
0: time of the early eighties, in particular, the, it was the start of the the rock videos, which became
2: a very big thing. But did you never? Were you never tempted to get involved with the other aspects of the media? Personally, talking, no, I wasn't that uh, interested. I was interested in in presenting groups. Uh, in the beginning, it was only the groups I liked. Yeah. So, but that doesn't that that's not a way to 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 make a, a, to to grow um, a successful um, promoting agency because you have to cater for the audience and. Um, and one of the other things I uh, I liked is to put my own creative creativity in it, which I did with uh, to, with the Pandora Music Festival and with the Aina, but the Wien. But I wasn't the guy to um, uh, Leon Ron Marcus He was the guy to make the, the uh, yeah, to go for. Uh, Enlisting the North Sea Festival in Mocho after Paul Acker died, he was he, yeah he was more into building it into a very big company, and I was more uh, interested in um, new things, and that's at one point I I I decided to leave the company because I wanted to, I wanted to um, how do you say that in English my own creativity you want to be more creative. Yes, and do, do my own thing. And uh, I started with a cabaret and with a small uh, a theater. And we had on. Where, the, where was that? Uh, a couple of streets from here in a student uh, okay. society uh, soci- Society, yes. And what, uh, what sort of cabaret was this? And we invited Dutch artists, but we, 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 we were talking about 30 people on a Sunday uh, evening. and uh, and actually, I'm I'm quite happy. Uh, that's how I started, and um, and then it, with Mojo, uh, we were talking huge numbers. And uh, I mean, Mojo really competed with any of the largest promoters in Europe. You know? Yes, yes, one of the biggest. One of the
0: biggest. That was Barry Visser creator of Mojo Concerts, talking about the Kralinger Festival, which was in fact in 1970, not 1969, as I said in the piece. Thank you very much, everybody. We sure do
2: love you. Arts Talk magazine provides the perfect companion to Arts Talk Radio with reviews and previews in English
1: of cultural events in Holland. Whatever your interest in the arts, our international team of writers will always provide something new and exciting to see online. That's Arts Talk Magazine, all one word, dot nl. dot nl. Wandern ist des Müllers, muss das Wandern. Das Spannen ist des Müllers, was das waren. Das muss ein schlechter Müller sein, dem niemals viel, das waren dann ein. Das waren das waren, das waren das waren.
0: Dutch baritone Thomas Otlemans is one of the leading singers of his generation. He has appeared most famously as Papageno in Simon McBurney's acclaimed production of The Magic Flute. He also appeared at Covent Garden playing Schonard in La Boheme. But he also gives recitals all over the world. We met for a chat and I started by asking him whether it was opera or solo work which
1: dominated his diary. Opera by the nature of it and then purely practical already we rehearse six weeks and then we do two weeks of performances so opera is pretty dominant very quickly but I try to do not more than four or five productions a year which is already a lot and then to do as much as many recitals as I can as I can slot in and find.
0: Mm. Do you have a, a preference recitals
1: or opera? I, I wouldn't want to not do them both because it's really fantastic to be in an opera to really portray and inhabit a character and to be in this huge machine which is an opera which is all the technicians, the orchestra of a hundred people, the conductor, the director, the colleagues and then again sometimes to just be in a car and arrive at a little church with only a pianist who is most of the time a good friend and have a selected audience and just have everything in your own control mm-hmm. so no lights, no divas, no distractions and you can make your whole own program and and on the mini-second uh, control everything. That's because really operas
0: lovely. are uh, just so enormous, with eighty musicians or so in the pit and yeah. hundred on stage, and God knows how many technicians. Um, and, and a lot of the time, if you go in for, in, uh, for a guest appearance for a, one or two nights, say in Covent Garden, uh, you virtually have to know the part before you arrive, don't you?
1: Yeah. Well, that's the that we always. I mean, ideally, not everybody does. Unfortunately, I won't mention any names. But ideally, you always really know it as soon. As we start rehearsing. but it can have a, a pretty uh, anonymous in and out feeling sometimes mm. as you just go on and you meet some people on stage only, which can be very strange, but also can then sometimes give some a great energy because of the spontaneity of it. I pr- prefer to work before. so to be able to rehearse a few weeks, and to have a natural feeling.
0: Because you did the famous Magic Flute with uh, Simon McBurney in Amsterdam, and that must have been quite a different way of working. I know opera can be very, very innovative and very, very creative, but I think possibly Simon McBurney takes it to another level.
1: Yeah, and for me, that production, we started it in 2012. I've, I've played the same production, I think, now seven times since, because it's been touring all around Europe, and we're going to the Metropolitan Opera in a year and a half with it. So it's still continuing and it really his approach and his way of working with us physically and reading the text and the music and reacting to it was really uh, completely new experience for me he wasn't interested in you just come on left and stand there and he sort of makes it up as he goes along to a certain extent well that's it's also partly an act the making-up but he but he will he will create an atmosphere. I compare it sometimes to Lieutenant Colombo, who we all know is very intelligent, but will downplay his intelligence completely and will just ask questions and will just cause mayhem in a way, cause chaos. And then suddenly you find out that Colombo has solved the case and Simon has created a production. Mm-hmm. But I think there's more in planning I than he lets out. Wünscht Papa, geh nur oh, oh so ein sanftes Zeugeln der Seligkeit für
0: mich, der Seligkeit für mich, der Seligkeit für mich. Because I mean, opera is quite, um, in, in many ways, quite formal and quite one would imagine quite rigid because one is controlled very much by the by the tempo and the, and the music and, and, and by the conductor. Was this in any way working with someone like Simon McBurney anyway uh, disconcerting for you, or for, not, the, for the
1: other singers? Not for me. I loved it, but for the technical department and for some of the other singers who are very much used to and want to be very much told, no, this is like this and this is like this, it was tricky, and and also it's not every singer's cup of tea and for technical departments to have somebody who says no, we're doing this all like this now and we have to change, here has to be a wall we're changing the platform, etc that can be very challenging because I think that the
0: set for that was the centrepiece was a sort of platform, wasn't it? which yeah. went up
1: and down on, on yeah, it was a, in a way it was constructed and designed in, in collaboration with an oil rig company So they they used oil rig technology, built a custom-made computer to move this beast around because they had four cables holding on, a I think, a few-ton platform and a steel construction around. So it was quite an investment, obviously, and a risk for the operator to take. But as we see, the opera has been played now three times in Amsterdam. It's gone to London, it's gone to Aix-en-Provence. We'll probably go to Barcelona as well and to the Met. So it, it has been an investment and a way of working and looking at things, which has really paid off. Did anybody fall off the platform? once in rehearsal once in rehearsal and that was that was scary and that never happened again But what we do and that's also by a production like that you can't do without rehearsing because it would just be too dangerous so that we need a few weeks in trying getting used to the platform the, the angles can be very steep so it's uh, no nowadays it, it must be very difficult to actually sing if you're actually having to constantly think about where you're putting your feet or where your well, balance is it, funnily enough it helps cause it can be very tempting to think a lot about how you sing. And when you're on a stage, you need to sing, you need to let go, you need to liberate. And being distracted by physical things, being distracted by being on stage or, and distracted in a good way, so concentrated more, can also liberate you enough for the singing. I mean, unless, obviously, you, you fall off the platform. But I, the first production ever I did of Magic Flutes was in Nantes in, in France and I had five live pigeons who had, had had to fly around me during my first aria and which I had to put into a cage during my singing, which was completely stressful. So I had never caressed a cat before, let alone caught a, a, a pigeon and I had to feed them every day I had to, to get them used to me I would whistle on the Papageno flute to get them used to coming to me and the thing was what I realised I would stress about the pigeons but not about the show so the first aria went by in a flash because i was just focusing on hoping that the pigeon wouldn't fly out into the hole everybody told me they won't fly into the dark and i think well if i have one uh, very uh, individual pigeon who thinks it's dark let fly out of it. It's there, his big moment <laughs> it's his big moment then i've got a problem and then i noticed that the aria would be gone done, the pigeons would be in their cage and i would be completely in the situation and in the scene so that was also a lesson for me distraction or being busy on stage can be very helpful for performing and for singing as well because that for instance to make the link to recitals can be very difficult to have no props just an audience very close just on yourself just on your own in the in the in the, in the corner of the piano that can very much, if you're not careful, if you don't train it, freeze you up in a way, that you get over stuck in... Nothing certain, to fall back on. Yeah, nothing to fall back on, except the music and the poetry, which is the great thing of it, but physically it can be challenging. Hmm.
0: Do you have a favorite piece? Because I, I said I looked at uh, it, uh, this video of yours on on YouTube we're doing Winterreise. Is that very much a signature piece for Baritones? It's a bit a bit like the four last songs for a surprise Yeah,
1: yeah, well it's it's yeah, it's one of the pinnacles, it's one of the things you want to have under your belt. I mean I, I know as soon as I found out when I was about fifteen that Winterizer existed, I thought I want to sing it. So I think I sang it for the first time when I was eighteen, which is in, in certain senses way too young. And at the same time I'm now very happy that it's already, well, almost 40, 24 years that I'm singing this cycle. Because every time you rediscover every layer of life you experience, you find back in, in, in this core and in these texts. And I'm equally fond of, of Mullerin and Schwanegesang in a very different way. But this, this trilogy of, of song cycles by Schubert is really for me a core of my repertoire and of my way of thinking about about song and singing. Mm-hmm.
0: So, Thomas Wollner, thank you very much. Thank you for talking to Arts Talk, and um, I should look forward to seeing you uh, singing. Thank you very
1: much. It was a pleasure.
0: Radio online. Well, I'm afraid we've come to the end of another edition of Arts Talk Radio. We'll be back in a week or so with some more interesting people to talk to. And in the meantime, if you have any comments we'd like to hear from you, please leave them in the comments box below. My name is Michael Hasted. And so until the next time, it's goodbye. Bye.